In today's episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast, I'm joined by Az from Far North Queensland. He's half of the duo which makes up Back to Basics Adventures. He is someone who believes in hunting and gathering your own food. And today we have a great conversation about spearfishing, commercial fishing, what it means to actually get out there and catch your own fish, how come there are size limits, bag limits in Australia, and whether these limits are actually keeping the reefs and ecosystems healthy. We also compare Australian waters to oceans overseas that we see, the reefs around everywhere from Samoa, Papua New Guinea, Malaysia, and we finally discuss about how we should actually view the ocean to make sure to protect it to the best of our abilities. I'm so excited to share this with you. It's a little bit different from my other episodes. However, I think it's valuable to talk to someone who is out there in the water choosing to spear fish rather than depending on commercial fishermen. If there is anyone you would like me to interview, make sure to send me an email, oceanpancakepodcast at gmail.com, or send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, all the things you can find it at Ocean Pancake. Join the family in the Ocean Pancake Facebook group where we get together all the people, all the listeners of this podcast and chat about all things ocean, conservation, sustainability, and some science. So thank you guys so much for being here. It means the world to me. But yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure to let me know what you think and check as out. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean, whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution. If the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. another episode of the Ocean Packet Podcast. Today I'm here with Aaron Gallagher, who's also known as As from Far North Queensland, and one half of the Back to Basics Adventure team. Welcome to the podcast. Fantastic to be here, Kat. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on board because in contrast to many of the people I have on board, um, you're really just living the quintessential Queensland life, getting out there, getting into the water, and just uh, being in touch with nature. So wanted to have a bit of a chat on your perspective on the ocean's situations. Yeah, well, I'm glad we've, we've made the time to, to make it happen. Kat, I know it's been a bit of back and forth trying to get the stars to align, but here we are. That's what happens when you get very busy people trying to get fun together. <laughs> <laughs> so let's um, but yeah, start. You, you, you go, go far, <laughs> far away, Kat. Um, let's get started kind of at the very beginning. What is your relationship with the ocean and how did you fall in love with it in the first place? Well, I was fortunate enough to grow up with a quite a beautiful balance of reef and rainforest. My family has a fruit farm inland of Innisfail, which is just south of Cairns here in far north Queensland. And uh, on the other side of that, my mum's family 
uh, grew up by the edge of the ocean uh, down at, near Mission Beach, a little little fishing village called Kuramine Beach. So on the weekends, we'd always be down there with that side of the family and we'd learn how to cast a net and catch a fish off the beach and go mud crabbing up the creeks. And yeah, we from, from a very young age, we had a strong connection to the land and uh, yeah, always hunting and gathering for, for food. That was just a way, a way of life growing up, which um, I'm very fortunate to have instilled in me. Definitely. And is that how kind of Back to Basics came about? Yeah, so Back to Basics, uh, the outdoor adventure company I have with Jack Strickland, we, uh, a beautiful friend of mine, he, um, yeah, he, we, we came, came into fruition, uh, I, I believe, when, when we met back in, in Brisbane in, in college days. So, he, uh, yeah, him and I sort of connected on the, the common ground that we just loved getting what we called Back to Basics, which at every chance possible, we'd be skipping uni classes and trying to get to Morton Island or down to Byron Bay or up to the Sunshine Coast. And whether that be uh, having, a, having a fire on the beach or catching some crabs and cooking them up on the coals or going for a free dive or you know, spotting dolphins and humpback whales and, and turtles and all the rest of it. We just wanted to be in it, in the thick of it, living it, feeling it, breathing it everything and we just called it getting back to basics and yeah we started taking photos and videos of it and sharing it with our friends and they thought far out like wow you're so lucky that's so cool amazing and we thought you know yeah we we feel like we're we're lucky but you know we've all got the opportunity to do this and go out and connect with the accessible adventures and the nature that's around us and yeah me and Strick just went from strength to strength that and just followed our passion so yeah, that led us to, to where we are today, having, having, a, having a ball, filming away and going on incredible adventures all around, yeah, different naturally beautiful parts of the world. Yeah, basically all over the world. I, I've been following you a little bit and it's just crazy to see, you know, how it started, you know, at uni just around Brisbane and now you guys are going to all sorts of islands. Where, where have you been? This was some of the incredible yeah, so, places. So, well, over, the, over the last... I guess five years we it, we just gone to really where we've uh, you know dreamt about and where we've wanted to go we've just tried to reach out to airlines and magazines or hotels or people who'd host us over there or tourism boards and just said hey we're coming can you you know can you show us around or tell us what's good or can we link up with you and do something cool and yeah it's been incredible where it's taken us we've gone to we've gone to Papua New Guinea we spent five or six weeks up there with Strick's family. Yeah, he, he grew up there, which was incredible to go back and see the ties that, that he had up there. Uh, we've been to the King, Kingdom of Tonga. We've been to Vanuatu and Samoa, where we go uh, every year to take people on all-inclusive camping and free diving and fishing and spear fishing tours. We, yeah, we've been to, whoa, yeah, I've been to Palau and Micronesia and we've gone all through Indonesia and yeah, a lot, lot of incredible, Incredible places, yeah. Not not to mention what we have here in our backyard in Australia, all up up the east coast, and uh, even got hosted. When was it? End of last year, we went down with Adam Stern, who's an incredible uh, figure in the free diving world, and we went down and free diving with him down in in Nelson Bay area, which was far colder than I'd like to have experienced. However, <laughs> uh, beautiful nonetheless. So yeah, yeah. Get keep keeps us on the move, and yeah, we're we're always always doing something that fills the heart with joy and connects us with nature. That sounds really amazing. 
so many of those places I haven't yet had the chance to visit. That's definitely on my to-do list in the next couple of years. Those islands just, and I mean, the photos as well are incredible. The crystal blue water, you know, just the amount of biodiversity, um, just look incredible. Uh, so you get to see all the good things, of course, that we have. And, you know, we're still very lucky that in our generation, we get to be in the water with all these creatures and it's still relatively healthy and i think in particular in australia due to the like regulations and everything um the fish stocks and everything are doing quite well did you notice any kind of issues in the ocean in other places that you traveled whether it was pollution or overfishing or anything like that yeah look i think you bring up a good point there that for us living in australia we can be quite naive especially like i know myself i i try and no, I don't have a TV where I live and I'm rarely sort of dive deep into what's happening in the news and the media. I, I try to stay informed, but you know, sometimes you're just flat out living and life's busy. So yeah. I'm not as informed as I'd like to be on, on what's happening in the world. And I just go off my own experience and what I see. And, and yeah, like, like you said, we can be quite uh, oblivious to what is happening and the scale of what is happening in terms of uh, you know, detrimental uh, actions and what's happening in nature around the world and yeah in australia it's just so clean and green for the most part you know so uh, you go out to the reef and it's plentiful with fish and you see dolphins and whales and whale sharks and turtles and just like incredible colors of coral life and just blows your mind you go wow this is just like the ocean's so good and it's so like and it is but yeah, like you said, that's not always the case in, in everywhere that we go. In saying that, majority of places that I have been fortunate enough to travel and spend time underwater, because that's mainly what we do when we go over there, where, whether it be free diving or fishing or spearing, uh, you always spend hours and hours and hours a day in the water, eight, nine days. And, oh, sorry, eight, nine hours a day uh, for weeks on end. And yeah, you see walls of fish tuna wahoo spanish mackerel giant trevally golden trevally big eye trevally sharks schooled up by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds uh and yeah like it's it, it blows your mind but at the same time i've done a hell of a lot of uh, traveling and spearfishing through and even just free diving and, and travel through the likes of malaysia and indonesia sri lanka and Oh, the plastic you see in the water is just gut wrenching and the volume of plastic, you know? So I, and you know, we're fortunate enough in Australia that you've got this monstrous Island and there's bugger all people living here. However, you know, in Indonesia, the whatever it is, the fourth most populated country in the world of 270 million or so. And you got, you know, the majority of them crammed onto a handful of islands there's just so much plastic going into these rivers and as soon as you get the monsoon soon or rains which i've been over there in flooding season you know it's just it's it's a bit of a the, the culture of out of out of sight out of mind you know so it's just over the bank we'll throw that plastic bag with the rubbish over the bank and it's all good we can't see it but then as soon as the first rains come it's all out over the beach and the surf breaks and where you know, a lot of the local families or tourist families are on the beach having a swim and then you're seeing all sorts of uh, trash washed up uh, on the beach or floating around in the water and it, yeah it really is it really is gut-wrenching because the whole ocean is a whole it's not oh this ocean that ocean it's one one 
one system, one unit, you know? So, uh, yeah, it is, yeah, for the most part, incredibly beautiful where I go, but yeah, I guess it de depends uh, where you are, you know? Uh, did you get a chance to go up to Cape York at any point? I haven't. I haven't spent much time in Cape York, but I've I've had I've heard mixed reports of of the, um, the the plastic and the ocean life on the on the beach, uh, depending on what time of the year. Is that what you were alluding to? Yeah, because I headed up there back in 2014. I found it very interesting that the east coast was relatively clear. Um, all the beaches sure. were clean, everything was all good. Well, like the, the western coast in particular was just covered in I mean, hundreds and hundreds of kilos of plants. A lot of this has been washed over from places like Malaysia and Indonesia. Um, and it's what you're talking about, just this kind of um, chucking it over, over the beach into the water, just kind of out of sight, out of mind, and then it does drift australia is i don't know it was just such quantities and there's nobody living on the west coast of cape york uh, for people who don't know um it's basically the whole northern part of australia that area is basically unpopulated there's a couple of um, small communities but otherwise um, there's just no reason there'd be that much trash up there so it'd be floating over from the other countries um yeah yeah and it's just how that's how the I guess how the how the ocean currents and the waves and, and how it all works, you know, it's gotta it's gotta end up somewhere, you know. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, so do you consider like what do you consider to be the biggest threats facing our oceans? I know you focus a lot about, you know, inspiring people to get back to basics, inspiring people to get out there. And I feel like that's one of the most important things we can do as lovers of the ocean is make more people love our oceans because then they're more likely to, you know, work towards protecting it or be more mindful when it comes to it. What do you think are kind of like the challenges that our oceans are facing right now? Look, I guess the, the overriding problem that the ocean's facing is just like people's attitudes and, and lack of education in general. Mm -hmm. I really think that, like you said, there needs to be a, a deeper love and respect and understanding of what we use, how we interact with um, the materialistic world and how we interact with the natural world and how those two collide because there's a cause and effect of everything that we do. You know? um, so yeah, I think very much at the, at the core of it all, it's, it's attitudes and, and education and getting, getting the word out there that, you know, yeah, you can love and respect and you know, immerse yourself in nature, but, you know, it's, it's, it's what you do in everyday life, you know, and it's how, how you do everything you know, ethically and sustainably for the higher purpose of keeping things as you left it, you know? Definitely. Um, I wanted to ask your perspective as a spear fisherman in terms of the sustainability of fishing, because we know there's a lot of problems with overfishing bycatch with a lot of the commercial operations. Uh, then there's the whole side of uh, fish farming where some are extremely unsustainable. There's all sorts of runoff flowing into the wild populations. We've seen that with salmon and stuff in Norway, but then there's also more sustainable versions, but we don't have to get into that. But uh, as someone who spearfishes or just fishes personally, do you still consume commercially bought fish or do you just stick to what you catch? Yeah, I just stick to what I catch. And the main reason is because we're, like you said, we're 
we're so fortunate where we live that we've got access to the Great Barrier Reef, you know, and a lot of it is marine park and national park and protected for, for good reason. And a lot of it is uh, open to recreational and commercial uh, fishing. So yeah, we, I've, I've grown up spear fishing since I was 12 years old. My, my uncle got me and my brother, uh, our first spear guns, much to the, uh, stress of my my mother uh at my brother my brother i think was maybe seven or eight and i was 12. we got our first spear guns and, and soon after started catching our own craze and and shooting our own coral trout and fish and then that progressed and that's become a, a very big part of our lives uh yeah hunting and gathering is, is what we do you know on the weekends or when the weather permits we'll go out and we'll go you know go get a dozen fish or half a dozen craze and then that'll feed us and our families for the next few weeks because yeah seafood is a, a large or the largest part of our diet seafood and vegetables and we'll get red meat if uh, we can ever you know get some off a friend who's got a farm or you know we you know we, we grew up on a we've got a cattle a few cattle ourselves so you know we, we try and do any of the meat that we get ourselves but uh, yeah in terms of commercial fishing uh, in terms of the sustainability of it like you know, there's there's so many different level the types of commercial fishing and there's so many different levels to it you know there's line caught fishing and net fishing and some that are doing their best to keep out as much bycatch as they can but you know the, the reality of it is is that um yeah I, I know a lot of my my mates who are commercial fishermen um you know they they send a lot of their produce overseas and australia imports a lot of its seafood when we've got one of the richest fisheries in the world so yeah, yeah, I find that uh, strange. Like when I occasionally go to like the deli sections just to have a look. Um, and yeah, some of the fish, you know, comes from Vietnam or South South America. It just, it seems so bizarre to me because I know what's out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know. And I guess that's one of the reasons we started Back to Basics, just to show people that look quite possibly not too far from where you live. It's really easy to go and catch you know, a few mud crabs to boil up and have your own seafood or go and catch, you know, pick some beach worms or some yabbies and then use that to catch some whiting and flathead instead of, you know, going into a, a place and buying the cheapest seafood that's available. It's been, you know, netted with a super trawler somewhere along the lines, thousands of miles away from where you're standing, which to me just is, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't add up, but in terms of the, the spear fishing and the reason that that's the, my predominant form of hunting is that it is hands down from what I've come across in terms of the ocean side of things, the most sustainable way that you can spear uh, and, and hunt because you, you're looking under the water. You can you, you educate yourself enough to know, all right, what do I want to get? What am I targeting? What's available? Where am I? Um, you know, you've got all your size limits and bag limits are there in place. So you know what is said to be the, the right amount to catch or, um, you know, the, the right size that you're meant to be taking maximum or minimum. And then, yeah, you can just select exactly what you want, you know, all right, there's a, there's a 40 centimeter trout. You know what? That's just a bit small. I'm going to wait for another one. Oh, look, there's a 52 centimeter one. Yep. Perfect. And you can get the shot and you know, you, you literally can hand pick yeah. what you want to take home and consume. So yeah, it's yeah for, for us, it's, it's a way of life, you know, and it's, yeah feel feel a strong connection to the land when you go out and and get it yourself there's no other option for us really do you know why they have the minimum and maximum limits like what does what do the limits actually mean 
Yeah, so I know for, we'll use coral trout as, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe over in WA, it's 45 centimetres, which yeah. I very much agree upon. That's a great size. It's a good size fish. Uh, you guys in, have 38 or something? Yeah, 38 centimetres, which, sorry, all my coral trout uh, commercial <laughs> friends. I just think it's that little bit small. I think we can do a little bit better than that, add a couple of centimetres. But um, yeah, they, they put that in place so that um, Australia can get the live trout. Um, industry up and running, which has brought you know an incredible amount of jobs, and I know a lot of a lot of my mates personally who who rely on that for their families. So yeah, there's, there's obviously a reason behind it, but yeah, for the minimum in terms of whether it's 38 or forty five in the coral trout instance, that gives them X amount of times to reproduce before that that they can be taken whether with by line or by spear or whatever um, out of the ocean. And in the same instance, you've got. Uh, maximum limits on certain coral trout such as the blue spot coral trout where you can't take them bigger than uh, 80 centimeters so uh, that because then after that you really don't want to be eating them uh, they're far better a little bit smaller and when they're big they seem to be the the large breeders so yeah there's there's yeah very much reasons behind the yeah the size and bag limits so it's mostly just to ensure there's enough um, still breeding and being able to recuperate yeah. the populations yeah very very much so and where and i can really only truly speak for what i see and what i've mm-hmm. experienced in the last whatever it is 20 sorry 15 years of of spearing in my home turf here in, in queensland is is that we get quite a lot of rough weather and yeah you know 30 knot winds big storms uh, visibility that's incredibly dirty and you can't spear or it's too rough for boats to go out and catch fish and that very much keeps uh, keeps the ecosystem very healthy, marine life-wise, because it you know stopped literally no one can go out. Some to last year there was probably a four to six month period where there would have been less than a handful of days that anyone could have gone out. Really? So the reef had a yeah the reef just had a big old rest, and no one no humans could go out and harvest uh, any any seafood out wide unless you had a monstrous boat. Uh, so it kept a lot of the recreational and a lot of the commercial guys off the reef and uh, and even now i'm seeing when i go out as if like if i compare say 10 years ago we're still getting the same amount of spanish mackerel coral trout crayfish so yeah it's very yeah well, uh, you know the, i guess the uh the size limits and the bag limits and the amount that people can go out due to environmental circumstances the weather is uh, working in the environment's favor here anyway definitely then I'm quite lucky then because we have since since I moved to WA, which is six months ago now, we've had no wind every single weekend. So we've been out on the water every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're you're lucky enough that where you live there's very, very few people. It's very oh, remote, there's nobody yeah? here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just me. Uh, I'm the one house. No, but like even on a very busy day, you know, we go to the marina and there'll be, you know. 40, 40 cars um, with trailers, yep. so like 40 boats in the water. But while you're in the water, you'll see like one boat because the the islands here, the archipelago is massive. There's something like 32 islands and it's just so vast and just, you get lost in it. So it's incredible. Um, you know, there's really nobody here, wow. it's great. Wow. Um, kind of before, before we finish up, I did want to just um, ask you, uh, another couple things just because I have some friends here who are massive fans of you and what you do 
Um, so. oh, cheers. Cheers, <laughs> legend. I promise to, to kind of ask you um, if you have any spear fishing tips or free diving tips for people who want to get into that. Um, you know, what, what can people do to improve their free diving and stay underwater longer and get more involved yeah. in the ocean? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd, well, look, first, first off the bat, it's, it's all about being comfortable in the ocean and being calm in the ocean because the lower you can get your heart rate and the more comfortable you can be in the water, the longer you'll be able to stay down, whether it be five meters or, or 25 meters. So uh, yeah, the, the best advice I could give is to do a, fr a free diving course or, or watch you know, free diving tips. Uh, but yeah, in terms of spearing advice, it's, it's really, um, it depends on what you want to hunt, you know, know, know what you, you know, know your area, know what you want to hunt and, learn best how to do it and do do a bit of practice as well so that you're, you're only pulling the trigger knowing that you're going to get the fish you know you're not shooting into a rock or shooting something that you're not sure what it is or you're um yeah you know you're you're well versed in in what you want to get where you want to get it and how you want to do it but yeah my best advice would just be get it get out there dive with uh, someone who's better than you it's always good to go with someone who's who's better than you so you can learn those tips and tricks and yeah, in terms of staying down longer, just keep that heart rate really low. Keep it calm, keep it chilled, and and yeah, get nice and relaxed in the in the water. Do you guys offer the free diving courses? Yeah, look, we we run free diving courses at various times through the year, but generally speaking, we we do get quite a lot of people that ask us to come on free diving courses with us. But the it's difficult to line up weekends. Uh, not only with the weather, but oh, yeah, uh, yeah. with, with how, how, how often we're away. <laughs> we spend a, a, lot of, a lot of time on uh, missions, whether that be, uh, you know, locally uh, in Australia or, or over through the Pacific Islands. Sounds good. All right. Well, um, then I'm going to finish off the segment with the question I ask everyone. What would be the one piece of advice uh, that you give people to kind of live a more ocean-friendly life? living a more ocean friendly life look we, we briefly touched on it before but i think if we can try and get people to adopt the attitude of seeing the ocean as a friend not just a thing like see it as see it as like a, a good mate a good friend someone or some you know more than something it's not just a thing just see it as a as a bigger part of the whole you know, then it's something that you can, you can love, you know, something that when you sit down and you look at it, you feel relaxed, you can talk to it, you can find solace in it. Just seeing it, seeing it more than just a thing, you know, looking at it in a, with, with a deeper perspective um, and in the, the importance of the whole. And also just seeing ourselves as, as humans, not, not, a, I guess not as humans, but as nature, you know, we are nature, we're not in nature. So it's just, yeah, my, 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 the biggest way we can we can do our piece, uh, do do our best. The biggest way we can do our best for the ocean is to to treat it like a friend, truly love it, and just this the simple thing. You see a bit of plastic, you see a bit of trash on the beach, pick that bad boy up. Doesn't belong there. So um, yeah, we all we all do our bit, and we'll be uh, we'll be more and more on the right track. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. Um, hopefully. Yeah, we can have you back sometime in the future. And until then, I'm excited to 
see your adventures, where can people find you um, if they want to stay updated with uh, your travels and all the cool things you do? Well, look, probably the, the best place is either on the Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you go back number two, Basics Adventures, or on Instagram, B number two, B Adventures, B2B Adventures, and yeah, you'll find us. Uh, my personal Instagram is as AZFNQ, which stands for Far North Queensland, as FNQ. I'll be there and yeah, say good day and we'll hope to see you out here. Perfect. Thank you so much. No worries, Kat. Good to chat to you. Once again, thank you so much, Az, for joining me on this episode. It was great to chat with you again and to learn about the adventures you've been up to since our university days. Also, I'm sorry you probably heard the dogs again, but you know that they just like getting involved in the podcast. So if you hear any scratches or whimpers, that is Pinto or Sophie just being their cute selves. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to check Az out. Let me know what you thought of the episode. And of course, thank you so much to Graham Mose, who is the mind behind the music in this episode and all the other Ocean Pancake episodes. He lives in Brisbane. He makes great music. Go and see him live if you can, or go support him on all the platforms you can. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you next week.